0: Mm. Mm-hmm. you. Fable, a pastoral podcast that discusses common and often controversial topics from a biblical perspective. My name is Matt Miller.
1: And I'm Matt Henry, and today we're going to talk about the visible God. Um, so, by way of introduction, when you deal with a person of God, you always end up in very deep waters very, very quickly. Um, now, we've already talked about in detail the doctrine of the Trinity, um, but in no way, shape, or form did we exhaust that topic. Uh, Whenever the subject of God comes up, there's invariably uh, some questions about his nature and work. And it's natural due to the very vast, the very essence of the vastness of the concepts that you're dealing with. So what we made the point in various ways that when you deal with the Trinity, that though God is beyond our comprehension, uh, it doesn't mean that he's unknowable. Some people think that that fixes it. say, well, we just can't know, so why bother? He nonetheless has revealed Himself in and through the Word, and to a much lesser extent you can even see Him in creation. And so we embrace the fact that though He is unknowable in one way, there are ways that He is also knowable because He has revealed Himself. And those things we are commanded to know Him in that revelation. So with all that having been said, in the end we still have to be content with what is revealed. And be very cautious about the many questions that may come to mind. And it's natural for you to have those questions. So that's what makes books like uh, the book of Job or Habakkuk very precious, in my mind at least. Um, because they both actually pull the curtain back a bit on some of God's dealings with humanity in some very shocking and humbling ways. Uh, we watch a whole different perspective about the invisible Rome uh, by way of an example, when you look at Satan and God interact with each other, with poor Job, and he's in the middle. And and it can be very shocking the first time you read carefully the book of Job, and you're like, this is crazy. Um, and yet, no apologies are given. I like personally Habakkuk, because here God, a godly prophet is saying, when are you going to deal with this sinful nation of Israel? When, when are you going to act God in, in accordance to your character. And he says, oh, I am, I'm going to bring the nation of Babylon and they're going to be like locusts and they're just going to sweep across the land. And now he's sh- even more shocked. He's like, you can't do that. Babylon is evil. Uh, y- your eyes are too pure to look upon evil conti- uh, with any approval. And he actually deals with something true about God you know, improperly when he says that. Um, and, and God rebukes him and says, no, I'm going to. Not only am I going to use Babylon to punish my sinful nation, Israel, but then I'm going to punish Babylon. For- right, yeah. <laughs> And you're like, okay, my head hurts. <laughs> uh, so, it, it's opening things up about God yeah. that— that we don't normally realize is going on. And it, it's a good word to just remind us that we need to be really slow before we start saying, no, God won't do this, or that's not the way God acts.
0: Yeah. In fact, the Bible's clear that there, there are just simply places that we do not belong with our thinking and with our assertions. Absolutely. Uh, you know, Deuteronomy twenty nine twenty nine, the famous one, it tells us that the secret things belong to God. Um, in other words, they are, they're not ours to, to even know, um, And only our arrogance will continue to lead us into those subjects. Um, Psalm 145 verses three through five say, great is the Lord and highly to be praised and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall praise thy works to another and shall declare thy mighty acts on the glorious splendor of thy majesty and on thy wonderful works, I will meditate. Interesting, he says, I will meditate. But then up at top, he says, yeah. but you're unsearchable. So right. <laughs> there's this tension. Um, but notice his greatness, though, is defined as unsearchable. Um, but, but it, it, you know, we still declare those those mighty acts, um, and and it's not yet the same as understanding them. So you can declare something true of God, and yet at the same time, not fully understand every aspect of it.
1: It's not wrong to say, this is what God does, and I don't know why.
0: <laughs> yeah yeah and so he as he says we're to meditate on these acts um let him stretch us let it push us into a deeper sense of wonder and, and fear of him and yet at the same time remember ultimately it may be unknowable says paul right at the end of 11 right chapters of pure deep rich theology in romans he just ends with that great doxology of how unsearchable and unscrutable are his ways.
1: right and in, in fact in that passage uh he he he's he's just blown away with this plan that he's just laid out through the inspiration of the spirit that God has willfully chosen to harden the bulk of Israel. But why? So that instead he might bring salvation to you and I Gentiles. And so then of course people are asking, well, does that mean God is finished with Israel? And he says, absolutely not. Uh, that if it was good for Gentiles, I have Israel hardened, then how much better it will be for the Gentiles when God then visits Israel yet again. That's in verse 12. Yeah, So, Paul even explains that what drives him as an apostle to the Gentiles is the desire to see God's saving grace to be again manifested on Israel. So, I always laugh at that. That means that he his burden for the Gentiles is less for the Gentiles to be saved, right. but more that once they are saved, then God will visit Israel again, and that's where his real burden is. Um, He warns the Gentiles, therefore, don't be arrogant, assuming that now you're the favored ones by God. Uh, He says, because we can't know of all all of God's plans. Uh, Instead, we're called to remain in his kindness. But when that fullness of the Gentiles is gathered to God, he says that God will again turn to Israel. But what's interesting to note is that at the end of chapter 11, he's literally left breathless as he thinks about it, and he sums it up this way. He says, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments, unfathomable are his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has become his counselor, or who has first given to him that it might be paid back to him again? So our point is this, that it, it simply that God is not easily going to be boxed and contained And often what we do is we create problems when we approach them in a very simplistic way. And it's a very common problem today. Uh, There is not a willingness to really just think carefully on any specific point of theology, and that's partly what we're trying to do in this podcast is we're trying to help people think pastorally, but also deep um, and thorough on theological points. Yeah. So... So with that in
0: mind, we thought it would be helpful to reflect on some passages that are often passed over um, without the level of notice that they deserve. And so we have clear statements in the Bible about the fact that God is unseeable uh, by us. You know, So in John one in verse 18, no man has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the father, he has explained him. Or John six forty six, not that any man has seen the father, Except the one who is from God, he has seen the Father. Or in Exodus thirty-three twenty, but he said, "You cannot see my face." Why? For no man can see me and live. Um, Paul describes God as the invisible God in Colossians one and verse fifteen, and then in First Timothy six sixteen says that God alone possesses immortality and dwells in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see. Um, so just all these all these passages, but we also know that Jesus Christ is the revelation of the Father to us. Um, so so to see Him or to see Jesus is to see the Father, and that's the complexity yeah. of yeah. this. <laughs> um, and again, this is why the doctrine of the Trinity is is so important to get our heads around. Um, the Son is not the Father. The Father is not the Son. Yet we cannot see the Father, but the Son we have seen. And then in seeing him, we have seen the father. So,
1: <laughs> <laughs> And that's what we're going to do today.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so until next time, make sure to know. Um, so we, with that though, we just want to talk about, talk about some passages in the old Testament that give some additional glimpses to this unique reality that that'll just help us grow and wonder of, of who God is in his person. Um, and so with that, we're going to go into this section that we have just entitled The Invisible God Made Visible.
1: Yeah. Now, the reason that these passages get passed over is that they're in the narrative. Right. And so you just read along the story, and a lot of times your eyes pass right over this. But once you slow down, and hopefully in this podcast we call to attention some of these, you're like, dude, I never saw that before. But it's right there. It's not like we're pulling something out of the air. Yeah. So. When we talk about the invisible God being made visible, we'll deal first with Abraham as our first stop. Uh, he's living in this place. We come upon him in Genesis 12 in a place called Haran. But before that, he was he had this encounter with God, apparently, because in Acts 7, Stephen said that God appeared to Abraham before he was in Haran while he was still living in Mesopotamia. So somewhere time before then, Before Genesis 12, 4, he had already had God, and we have this thing, he appeared to Abraham. So then in Genesis 12, verses 6 and 7, twice we have a statement that God appeared to Abraham. Now, the question that you would want to ask is, well, whoa, what what do you mean, appeared? What is meant by that? And what we're going to argue in this podcast is that it was actually the second person of the Trinity. It's not Jesus, because he's not born yet, but the second person of the Trinity, the Son, who appeared to him.
0: So, in in Genesis 15, uh, we read about the covenant God makes with him. Um, And what's interesting is that in verse 1 and in verse 4, it doesn't say that God appeared, but rather something else. Um, So... Listen to these words, verses one through seven. Um, It says, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision saying, do not fear Abram, I am a shield to you. Your reward shall be very great. Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me since I am childless and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus? And Abram said, since you have given no offspring to me, one born in my house is my heir, then behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying. So that's the key phrase. The yeah. word of the Lord came to him, saying, "This man will not be your heir, but one who will come forth from your own body. He shall be your heir." And he took him outside. Now, the antecedent of he yeah. and he took him is what? Well, it's the word of, of the, the Lord. Lord. So it's all of a sudden you're
1: you're like, wait, wait, wait. Is I there thought, a person yeah. there, or is it? <laughs> yeah. Of oh, audible. Something's going yeah. on here. And yeah. if you get the show notes, you'll see that we bolded these. Yeah. So so the word of the
0: Lord comes to him, and then in one verse later it says, and he, presumably here, the antecedent, the nearest one is the word of the Lord, says, took him outside and said, so again, word. <laughs> now look toward the heavens and count the stars, if you are able to count them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. Then he believed in the Lord, and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of the Ur of Chaldeans to give you this land and possess it. So notice that this is no simple vision, um, nor is it merely auditory. Yeah, And that would be the point to observe. Right. Um, the word appears. So right that right there is your mind goes into a cramp. The word appears and speaks and then leads him outside um, then the word is specifically identified as being Yahweh, uh, That's so cool. all well, capital letters. Yeah.
1: It's, it's a neat passage. Yeah. Go ahead.
0: So, yeah, then, then the apostle John appears to refer to this event in John eight fifty six, um, and when, Ab, uh, when Abraham, as when Abraham saw his day and was glad of it.
1: His day being Christ. Yeah. The, the, the word.
0: Yeah. Um, and then also that harkens back or echoes then John 1, 1, um, the the early story tells us that somehow the invisible God is visible in some way. um, But he's visible in a way that's more than merely light or. Right.
1: Well, and and the reason for that is because, you know, you have the pillar of light or or the cloud of glory or whatever that guided Israel. And so people will say that's all it was, but it's like, it's no, here it's specifically this, person that's known as the word of the Lord or the word of Yahweh who appears and then leads and speaks and commands and then calls himself Yahweh. I mean, it's, it's just a cool passage. And it's not the only one. Um, in Genesis 18, we have another event with uh, Abraham. In verse 1, it says that Yahweh appeared to Abraham, but then the story develops that God is with two other men Presumably, and we talked about this in angelology, uh, presumably it's with angelic beings. But even more interesting is that Abraham then feeds them, showing that they're much more than, again, apparitions. This is not just some ghostly kind of thing happening. They're eaten. Um But what follows, then, is a conversation between Yahweh and Abraham about the birth of his son and the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah. But never is it indicated that this is someone representing Yahweh, but it is actually Yahweh. So, this invisible God that no one can see and live, somehow this Yahweh is eating food. Right, right. (laughs) And it's not just a big thing of light. It's, It's Yahweh. Yahweh is there. And never does the text indicate this anyone but Yahweh. So, what do we do with that?
0: Right, right. Uh, here's another example. It comes from Samuel uh, in First Samuel three. Um, here's the key verses. Um, it says, "Now the the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord Yahweh before Eli, and the word of the Lord was." It says, "And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. Visions were infrequent." Um, and then from there, we read about Yahweh calling out to Samuel over and over again, and he becomes confused. Um, then listen to what it says here in verse 10. It says, then the Lord came and stood and called as at other times, Samuel, Samuel, and Samuel said, speak for your servant is listening. Uh, but the key verse verses are 19 through 21. It says, thus Samuel grew and the Lord was with him and let none of his words fail. All Israel from Dan, even to Beersheba, knew that Samuel was confirmed as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh because the Lord revealed himself to
1: Samuel at Shiloh. How? By the word of the Lord. Again, really cool passage. Yeah. So you have the word. And talked about visions and stuff not being rare. Then Yahweh comes, then the Lord appears, and the Lord reveals, but hey, he reveals himself by the word of the Lord. So somehow Yahweh reveals himself through the word of Yahweh. Yet there's an appearing. Yeah. So it, it's really cool it's, because, yeah. it, but it's set, it, you know, we have the New Testament. So we got like John 1 1. We, and we're like, ooh, 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 I know, I know. But they didn't know. Uh, but it, again, a fascinating passage. Uh, So, what's another example? Okay, so another example that we'll give one more here is Jeremiah. Uh, So, in Jeremiah 1, verses 1 and 2, it says, The words of Jeremiah to whom, now here's the phrase again, the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah. Then it says in verse 9, Then the Lord, or Yahweh, stretched out his hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. So, yeah, verse 2, you might say, well, okay, that was just Jeremiah, and he heard God. That's what it means by the word the Lord came. But by the time, and it's an unbroken uh, narrative. By the time you get to verse 9, you realize it's an actual appearance of Yahweh, and, and the reason is that he actually touched Jeremiah. We should not try to say, well, this is an anthropomorphism so that we can understand some mysterious act. Why don't we just take it for what it says, and that in some way the word or, or the Lord stretched out his hand. And so our point in this is simply that the Old Testament's not silent about this idea of the invisible God being visible. Uh, We would actually argue that these are some strong indications that God would appear to people, and not merely in some sort of vision or some audible manner, but rather he would actually come in a bodily form and was described and known as the word of Yahweh. So keep that in mind, and now we'll develop that a bit more. Yeah, so now you get to this concept of the angel of the Lord. Yeah, my,
0: one of my favorites. Um, yeah, it's fascinating. Um, here we come to another way that God would appear to people. Um, and it's a, it's a more common way in the Old Testament um, or at least the way the Old Testament describes it, but it, it's no less fascinating. Uh, the first example is that of, of Hagar, poor Hagar, who's the servant of Sarah or Sarai, uh, as we know, and the mother of Ishmael from Genesis 16. Um, and she's, she's dealt with in that, that narrative in such a harsh way by Sarai, if you know the story, that she flees actually into the wilderness. Um, and there she is in a very difficult situation with no pe- peoples, there's no place to go. Um, but yet in all that, the story is not about her, right? Um, nor is it about Sarai, nor is it about Abraham. Uh, rather, as true, <laughs> most true of most Old Testament stories, it's about Yahweh. And, and here we meet this very unique figure uh, that's known as
1: the angel of the Lord. So you want to read it? Yeah, so in Genesis 16, and I'm going to read verses 7 and then 9 through 11. So she's out there, she's miserable, and it says, The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, by the spring on the way to Shur. Then the angel of the Lord said to her, Return to your mistress and submit yourself to her authority. Moreover, the angel of the Lord said to her, I, notice that, I will greatly multiply your descendants so that they shall be too many to count. The angel of the Lord said to her further, Behold, you are with child, and you shall bear a son, and you shall call his name Ishmael. Why? Because the Lord, or Yahweh, has given heed to your affliction. And then in Genesis 16, 13, it says that she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. So now the text is saying that she's not looking just at the angel of the Lord, but she's actually looking at Yahweh himself uh, who spoke to her. Thou art a God who sees, for she said, I have remained alive here after seeing him, seeing Yahweh. So um, all of this, you have the angel of the Lord who will multiply her descendants, then he says that Yahweh has heard her affliction, and then finally she recognizes what and who she's seen, and obviously she's amazed because she lived in, yeah. in all that.
0: Um, then the next stop would be Genesis 22 and the offering of Isaac by Abraham. Uh, Abraham, as you know, is faithfully followed through with the command of God to offer his only son there, Isaac, but he's stopped just short of the act of killing him by the angel of the Lord. And so in Genesis 22, 11 through 12, it says, but the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here am I. And he said, do not stretch out your hand against the lad or the boy and do nothing to him for now i know that you fear god since you have not withheld your son your only son from me um
1: and so there's this yeah not exchange of pronouns yeah it's not that you withheld you have not withheld your only son from god but from me well the only person that he's offering it to is yahweh <laughs> right right or not yet him yeah. <laughs> sorry <laughs> Uh,
0: such a progressive. Okay, and then twenty two fifteen through 18, it says, then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, by myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this thing, and have not withheld your son, your only son. Indeed, I will greatly bless you and I will greatly multiply your seed as the stars of the heavens and as the sand, which is on the seashore. And your seed shall possess the gate of their enemies. And in your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Um, Again, exchange of pronouns. Here's some quick observations. Um, Notice here the angel does not appear, but rather he calls from heaven. Um, and yet the way that he refers to himself and then God is indistinguishable. Right. Um, it flows back and forth. Yeah. In fact, in verse 16, he, he swears by himself and then refers to himself as Yahweh. Um, even more interesting is that it is the angel who reaffirms that Abrahamic covenant, but in the first person, <laughs> um, he says, I will, and, uh, I will, um, and it is, it's premised upon the fact that Abraham has obeyed his voice, obviously. So there's no way to to extract the
1: angel, hear the angel of the Lord from the person of Yahweh himself. Right. So with that in mind, now we can uh, look at good old Moses and that famous burning bush experience. Uh, here, I'll just read again out of Exodus chapter 3, 2 through 6. Uh, and pay attention to the angel of the Lord and then where Yahweh shows up. And so the angel of the Lord appeared to him, Moses, in the blazing fire from the midst of a bush, and he looked. And behold, the bush was burning with fire, yet the bush was not consumed. So Moses said, I must turn aside now and see this marvelous sight, why the burning bush is not burned up. When the Lord, or when Yahweh saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. And he said, He said, Do not come near here. Remove your sandals from your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he also said, I am the God of your father and the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. And then Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. So again, simple observations here. You, he starts out with it being the angel of the Lord calling from the midst of the bush, but by the time you're finished with it, it's God Himself, Yahweh, who's speaking from the midst of the bush, and there is no indication that there were a couple of different people right. or beings within it. They're just one and the same. Now, to to me, this is
0: one of the more definitive passages because the language of angel of the Lord, angel just means messenger. Right. Right. And so an an angel could come and the presumption is he does not change God's message. I mean, he can't. So he articulates it exactly as God has said it. So some people will say, so it's not actually God, it's just an angel because, but he hasn't changed the message, which is why he speaks in the first person. Um, But here you have the angel of the Lord appears to him in a blazing fire and then in verse four, it's explicitly said that it is God who calls to him from the midst of that right. bush. So, so it's it's God in there, and then of course he says, "I am the God of your father, Abraham." So it's 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 God, right? <laughs> uh, not just it, as you said. It's there's not multiple figures right. within this bush here. Then there's another story of uh, Balaam. And his donkey in Numbers 22. (laughs) Probably one might. I'm embarrassed to admit it, but I really enjoy this one. (laughs) Go ahead. (laughs) Um, So if if you know the story, Balaam, he's headed to speak to the leaders of Moab to be paid to bring a curse upon Israel. Um, And then in Numbers 22, 22, it says, but God was angry because he was going. And the angel of the Lord took his stand in the way as an adversary against him. Now he was riding on his donkey and his two servants were with him. Um, so then what happens is he starts basically beating the donkey because the donkey won't move.
1: And we were just in Ethiopia watching guys just whipping <laughs> we, on their donkeys. Yeah. Poor donkey. It's, it's like, always the
0: young boys yeah. to do it. Um, so apparently he couldn't see the angel of the Lord, but in some way this donkey yeah. could. Um, then in verse 30, the Lord opens the mouth of the donkey to rebuke Balaam. And he's able then at that point, all of a sudden to see the angel of the Lord. And then after repenting, uh, we read this, it says, but the angel of the Lord said to Balaam, go with the men, but you shall speak only the word, which I shall tell you. So Balaam went along with the leaders of Balak. Now notice that the angel here will speak the word, which the angel will give him. Um, Now notice that the prophet will speak the word, which the angel will give him. This connects back to the word of the lord that we just discussed uh, and then finally in verse 38 Balaam tells the Moabite leaders that that he is only able to speak the words that god gives
1: him so it starts out with the angel of the lord then it's talking about giving a word that he's to speak but then when he gives the word he says i'm only allowed to say that which god has right. given me so again in in this whole flow of the narrative it's it goes from the angel of the lord to just being god so What we have in these types of passages, and these are only a few of them, uh, several others as well, there are instances where you have the invisible God who is unapproachable and altogether glorious, nonetheless appearing to people. And so what do we do with them? Well, we simply would argue that these are what are known as Christophanies. Uh, the, The Bible is clear that it is the Son, the second person of the Trinity, who is the Word and the revelation of God. So we, we know this now, especially in John 1, verses 16 through 18, where it says, uh, For of His fullness we have all received, and grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. Why? No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him.
0: Yeah, so it, it, it's an interesting text because there's there's some irony here. Uh, in verse 18, he says, no one, no one, I mean, it's an absolute, has seen God at any time. Uh, and he says, but the only begotten God who's in the bosom of the father, he has explained him. That's talking about Jesus. Um, he has explained him or made him known. But what's interesting is verse 18 comes immediately after mentioning Moses in verse 17. So verse 18, no one has seen God at any time. Verse 17, the law was given through Moses. If you know Exodus thirty-three eleven, it says God spoke with Moses as if face to face. So it's like, what's what's going on here? Right. Um, so in one sense, no, no one has seen, God, but in another sense, he's been explained or exegeted, it was the literal term, or made known through this, well, right. we would argue, second person of the Trinity.
1: Well, and then that, you'd have to almost go all the way back to John one, 1 and exegete that passage because it says, and the Word was with God, making the Word distinct from God, but then it says, and the Word was God. So he's not, that second line of he is, the word was with God, but he's also God. So, and and the first time that it says the God there, it's talking about the Father. We now would call it, and and then the word is the Son, the second person Trinity. Same way, the Moses didn't see the Father, who he saw was in fact the Son, and it's the Son now who's come in flesh, who is now perfectly exegeting, or expressing the Father. So, um. Now
0: this was not only in the New Testament with the first advent, but it happened all throughout the Old Testament. Uh, This is who now we would argue, actually met Adam and Eve and walked with them, as it says in the garden in the cool of the day. Uh, This is the one who ate with Abraham prior to sending the angels to warn about Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, This is the one who wrestled with Jacob. This is the one who guided Israel through the wilderness as a pillar of fire, a shining, shining cloud. Um, and as we just said in Exodus 33, this is the one who Moses then knew face to face. But the, these were appearances. Right. Um, and that's how you have to understand it. He's not yet human. He's not yet come or been enfleshed in the person of Jesus. Um, not yet made karna, in other words. Uh, he was still all glorious. He had not yet emptied himself um, to take on that flesh of humanity that will come later but nevertheless we have to understand that whenever you're seeing god in these in the new testament certainly explicitly but in the old testament what you're seeing there is the second person
1: that's his yeah to use the term economic function ooh throw that back in nicely done so we hope that this little journey into the person of god was helpful and even a little bit intriguing um it's really our desire for all who love God to seek to expand their knowledge of Him in every possible way. And the reason is that our worship is properly tied to how we perceive God. So we would just say, hey, think on these things. Um, as we read the Bible, we should always be asking ourselves, how is God seen in what we read? Um, we should be constantly asking God, open up our eyes a little bit more every time we read to know Him and understand Him better. So, So thanks for tuning in.
0: And until next time, join the conversation. Let us know what you think about this episode. Leave us a five-star review and comment on iTunes. And don't forget to like, share, comment, rate, review. Connect with us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And tell all your friends.